Amen. Thank you, Faith and Kaylin and Lexus. Uh, great songs. Good job. Go ahead and get in your Bible in Luke chapter 17. I, I don't know when you read your Bible what goes through your mind. There, there's some things that happen and you think to yourself, well, I'd have liked to have seen that. I, that's one of the ones I'd have liked to have seen. These seasoned fishermen just driving in a boat and the storm is so bad they're fearful for their life. And Jesus is in the back of the boat sleeping, so exhausted from the demands on his life and the, on the ministry. And he just stands up, says, peace be still. Call. Man, I like that. I guess that probably means there's nothing in your life or mine he can't take care of, amen? Should be in your Bible in Luke chapter 17, uh, Last Sunday night, we started a 14-week Sunday night series of random subjects from uh, my stack of sermon card ideas. We talked about uh, when silence speaks volumes. We talked about how heaven was silent when the prophets of Baal wanted to hear from Baal. We talked about how heaven was silent when King Saul uh, wanted to hear from Jehovah because Saul had for many years lived willfully and presumptuously defiant against God, and so God refused to answer him, and we closed rejoicing that for sincere followers of Jesus, heaven is never silent, because every word we read in the Bible is our Savior speaking to us in some way, whether we tingle or tear up or not, and we were reminded that we live and listen by faith rather than by feelings. All of us enjoy those moments when uh, God stirs our spirit in some way, and we, quote, feel something, but we don't live by feelings, we live by faith. Uh, tonight, I want to talk about a four-letter word. Not the kind of four-letter word in common use in our culture we would call profanity. Not the kind of four-letter word that some of you would use and excuse when you get angry. A four-letter word that is probably despised more than the four-letter word W-O-R-K. A four-letter word that people despise when it applies to us called duty. At one time in American culture, the word duty was an honored word, noble word. And it still is among some people today, but in general, not so much. Did you know that duty was a Bible word? Did you know that both the Old Testament and New Testament speak about our duty? Now today we mostly associate the word duty with the military, uh, but it's really is the only place we're to have duty, is it only toward our country? In fact, in Christian circles, the pendulum has rightly swung to doing what we do for Christ from our heart, but I believe uh, now it's swinging the other way so much that people only think about the inside as if when your heart is right, it doesn't affect the outside. See, when you really understand what's going on, you understand that everything that's healthy on the outside flows from the inside, but if there's nothing on the inside, there's nothing on the outside, but if you have something real on the inside, it always shows up on the outside. Did you know that duty's a good word? 
Did you know that duty will be involved in some way for every faithful follower of Jesus? Did you know that duty will be involved in every faithful spouse and every faithful parent and child? Let me ask you, are you somebody who's lost sight of a right heart producing action in our life that we would call duty? Be able to stand if you would stand tonight, please, in honor of God's word. Title of my thought tonight is doing our duty when duty calls. Doing our duty when duty calls. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 7, God's word says, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he's come from the field, go and sit down to meet? I will not, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he hath did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. I, I think not. Verse 10, so likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Thank you, you might be seated. We just read one of the two places in the New Testament where the word English word, duty, is used. Now some study Bibles ahead of this parable say a parable of service. It should really more accurately be called a parable of our attitude in service. And though the English word duty only appears two times, we, two times, we get a good idea of what the Lord means by duty here when we think about the other way this uh, same root word is translated in the New Testament. For, insta for instance, the same word is translated 15 times as ought, uh, like he ought to die. Duty is something we ought to do. It's translated as some form of owe or debt nine times. Uh, for instance, pay me that thou owest. Duty is something we owe. It's an obligation, it is a debt that we have. In fact, when we understand what the word duty means and how it is translated in our New Testament for us, there's really no playing around in the second place where it appears in the New Testament in Romans where uh, Paul says, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. You see, believers in Rome had a duty, something they owed, something they ought to do, a debt they were obligated to pay to the Jews who had been the spiritual foundation for their faith, even though they were enemies of the gospel, they still had a duty to them. Now, some believers don't like the word duty, uh, especially in the context of Christianity. But hear me when I say duty has always been and still is an acceptable motive for doing what's right and for doing what Christ has called and gifted us to do in life. If we were to study the issue in Exodus 21, husbands had a duty to take care of their wives, Exodus 21.10. Men had a duty to provide for the widowed wife of his brother, Deuteronomy 25. Verses 5 through 7. The Levites and priests had a duty each day in the temple in 2 Chronicles 8, 14. 
Solomon spoke about the whole duty of man being to fear God and keep his commandments in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. So it should be no surprise to those of us who believe and try to follow the Lord Jesus Christ that we have a duty to do all that God has commanded us to do as believers in Jesus. Of course, we're supposed to serve Jesus because we love him. Of course, we're supposed to do what we do for the glory of God. But humanly speaking, it is impossible for us to always feel love, to always feel excited, and to always feel the desire for God's glory most. So any believer who wants to be a mature Christian and remain spiritually minded will need to do the right thing at times because of duty to Christ, because of duty to those we love, because of duty to what we've been called and gifted to do in life. Sometimes we won't feel like it. Now the parable we read a moment ago is not teaching that those who do their duty that they're commanded are unprofitable servants. There's a key word in there we'll see in a second. What this parable is teaching is that instead of developing a prideful or superior or attitude of superiority uh, when we've done what our master has commanded us to do, we should say we've just done our duty instead of being proud. In fact, if we go back to the parable, when a servant worked all day in the field, their chores were not yet done until they served dinner to their master. Uh, verses 7 and 8. He said, but which of you having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he's come from the field, go and sit down to meat? In other words, he works in the field all day. You don't say, hey, go have your dinner. Instead, in verse 8, you would not rather say unto him, hey, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat. Do you see what he's saying? He says, nobody is a servant who's happy when they're just done with the field. Uh, you expect that servant to come home and finish their duties, to finish preparing the meal, and then for them to eat. That's what Jesus says. Uh, by the way, the master expects us to finish our tasks. Verse 9, uh, doth, not he doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I throw not. I throw not. No, you don't, you don't thank him for doing that. No, I didn't say in a Christian context that we should be thankful people for things that people do for us. We should. But in the context where this is written, where it's a master and a servant, I mean the servant didn't come home and do his duty. And the master, oh, wow, thank you for doing what you're supposed to do. Now Jesus is going to apply this to his disciples. In verse 10, so likewise ye, when ye have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We've done that which is our duty to do. The key to understanding this is that word say. When you've done everything you're supposed to do as a follower of Jesus, say, I'm an unprofitable servant, instead of saying, wow, I'm special. You see, servants who do their duty are profitable. <laughs> Servants who refuse to do their dirty, uh, duty, they're not profitable servants. Servants who do their duty, they'll be rewarded by the master when he returns. Unprofitable servants will suffer loss of rewards. They'll be ashamed when the master returns. See, this parable is really about our attitude. 
the attitude of a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you do everything you're supposed to do, say, we are unprofitable servants, we've done our duty. That's a Sunday night. The great majority of, of people here tonight, uh, nobody made you come. You, you didn't come because it's just, hey, this is what we do on Sunday mornings. You're here on purpose in a time when so many churches don't even have Sunday night services anymore. Uh, you're here on purpose. That's a good thing. Uh, but it's very easy to get proud of doing what we're supposed to do because many don't. It's easy to be condescending to those who do less because there are many who do less for Christ. But understand, obeying Christ is our duty. We owe something. We are debtors in some way. There are some things we ought to do. But humanly speaking, it's impossible to always feel love, to feel excited when uh, uh, something is no longer new and fresh. Humanly speaking, it's impossible to always do what we do because we desire God's glory uh, and feel love for him. It's humanly impossible. Let me ask you a question. What will you do when you don't feel like doing what you're supposed to do? See, that's when duty is supposed to kick in. And any believer who wants to become a mature Christian and remain spiritually minded, you are going to have to do the right thing and serve Jesus at times because of your duty to Jesus Christ. Because of your duty to those you love. Because of your duty to that which God has called and committed and gifted us to do in life and in his service. You know, one of the reasons so many churches produce so few mature and deeply committed followers of Jesus is that they've come to the wrong conclusion. They've concluded that duty is a bad motive. And that you must always feel something before you do it. Listen, duty to Christ is a good motive. It should not be our only motive. Duty should not be our only motive for ministry. It should not be our only motive for being committed to our spouse. It should not be our only motive to take care and train our children. Uh, it just shouldn't be. But at times, duty needs to be our motive. See, whether we like it or not, you and I are debtors to Jesus Christ and God the Father who gave us his only begotten son. Whether we like it or not, we have an obligation to our Savior, to our spouse, to our children to do the right thing when we don't feel like doing the right thing. So our world says, follow your heart. Jesus says, follow me. Our world says, be true to yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. Our world says, make yourself happy. Jesus says, whosoever shall lose his life shall find it. Do you get the idea that his teaching is completely countercultural? If, if you follow uh, the teaching of Jesus, uh, listen, you listen to the things he teaches, uh, you, uh, there's no surprise that he thinned the crowd sometimes. 
Jesus' goal was never, hey, let's get as many people as we can. Never was. He almost dared people to be his follower by what he asked from them. See, the question is not, can you have some kind of fun and make some kind of a life living for yourself and pleasure? You obviously can. People do it all the time. The question is this. When you reach the middle and end of your life, was it better to live for Christ and do your duty? By the grace of God, I have lived long enough to see what happens in the middle and end of the life of those who lived for themselves and those who lived for pleasure. And I've been blessed to see the middle and the end of those who said, you know what, I'm gonna follow Jesus with my heart and when my heart is not what it should be, I'm gonna do my duty to do what is right and that end is much better. God has a better end. See, here's for the question for tonight. What will you do when being at Bible Baptist Church is no longer fresh and new? What are you gonna do in your marriage when it's no longer fresh and new? Where it's not easy to love at that moment? What will you do when your children are being difficult and it's hard to stand for right against them as a teenager and you know they're gonna emotionally make you pay for doing what you need to do? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do when you don't tear up when you pray? What are you gonna do when you don't tingle when the right kind of music is being sung or played? What are you gonna do when your heart doesn't burn for someone to be saved at visitation time? What are you gonna do when teaching your class is no longer fresh and your time schedule is difficult and it's hard to find time to prepare? What, what, what are you gonna do? See, what I'm talking about tonight is the difference in somebody who for decades is in a healthy marriage, decades in a healthy home, decades in a healthy situation in a church, and people who go like this. Duty. Will you do your duty for Christ's sake and for the sake of what's right, or will you do something else that's easier? And so tonight what I would like to do for a few minutes is just make some applications and observations of Christian people doing our duty. Please first go in your Bible to Ephesians chapter five. I hope in that parable you circled or underlined the word say. That is the key word to understanding that parable. Here's number one. If it hasn't come yet, there'll come a time when you won't feel like filling your duty in your marriage. If it hasn't come yet, there will come a time where you don't feel like doing your duty in your marriage. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. The husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so that the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. See, when the time comes when you don't feel like doing your role, the choice you make will make the difference 
and whether your marriage stays together or whether it deteriorates. See, the path to being a mature, spiritually-minded follower of Jesus, it's not characterized by following our feelings. It's characterized by following our faith. Faith isn't a feeling, though we do feel faith at times. Faith is a choice. Faith is acting on the part of us that tells us from the inside to do right instead of the part of us on the inside that says to do something else. That's why Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is substance. Faith is evidence. It's something that happens. It's not a feeling. And husbands have a duty to unconditionally love their wives, and wives have a duty to unconditionally follow her husband's leadership. In a perfect world, there are always two people doing this at the same time. We don't live in that world. And for anybody who's been married any length of time, what you would walk away and say, you know what? When both of us were really in sync with what God wanted from us, our marriage was great. But in reality, what happens is that very often one or the other of you are not going to be filling your role. And what the other person does at that moment, whether they do what they feel like and respond in like kind to their spouse's poor behavior or whether they respond by faith and do their duty to fill their role makes all the difference in the world in our home. Now listen, it's always best to fill our role because we love our spouse and feel that love. But if you have not yet recognized that your feelings of love ebb and flow, you're either really young or not paying attention. And you must learn to do your duty in your marriage. And if you don't, you'll go from relationship to relationship to relationship. And many of us have seen that, and some here have felt it. See, the difference in a happy marriage that lasts for decades and one that falls apart is doing our duty when we don't feel like it. Listen, I have a duty to stay true to my wife in my mind and in my heart and in my body. And if you're married, so do you. Let me ask you, are you letting too much of your life to be controlled by your feelings? See, feelings are like sparkle and flash, while duty is drab and plain. But duty to our spouse when emotion is weak is important to happy decades together. Will you follow your heart or will you follow Christ when your heart is fickle? Will you by faith do your duty as a spouse? Which gets us to number two. Number two, if it hasn't come yet, there'll come a time when you won't feel like doing your duty to your children. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. By the way, that's not just when you feel like it. You don't like that, move out. Verse 2, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long in the earth. You fathers, notice it's not just a duty for children, a duty for parents. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. See, when the time comes when you don't feel like parenting your children or following your parents' authority, the choice you make will determine whether you become a mature follower of Jesus or not. 
It'll determine whether or not your child gets what they need from you. See, the path to being mature and spiritually minded isn't characterized by following our feelings. It's characterized by following our faith. Faith is not a feeling, though we feel faith at times. Faith is a choice. Faith is evidence. Faith is substance. Faith is acting on the part of us that says do what God says is right. And failure to faith is when we act on that part of us that is telling us something different. Listen, parents have a role to fill in their children's lives. And children have a duty to fill a role in their parents' lives. Now, if you're here and you're a parent and your children are still young, not feeling like parenting them, right now it feels like an impossibility. Uh, Trust me, the time's gonna come and you're gonna say, wow, I don't know how I'm gonna hang in here. It may come when they're 15, it may come when they're 19, it may come when they're 35, you're always their parent, and and you're gonna feel like, wow, you know what, it'd be so much easier to check out. You have a duty to not check out. For children who are young, uh, and your parents haven't yet had to step in and tell you, hey, you can't date that person, hey, you can't take that job, I mean, I'm talking about stepping in and drawing a line that you really don't like. It may seem just like a foreign language to you that, wow, I would ever just not at all want to follow my parents. Listen, what you do when that day comes will determine whether you'll be a mature follower of Jesus and it'll determine whether your relationship lasts for decades. Our hearts and life are filled with things we don't feel like doing. Every parent here has a duty to take care of your children and train them in the way they should go. So why are you preaching that? Because we have a lot of parents, they don't care whether they get up for Sunday school. We have a lot of parents, they don't care whether their kids show up to master clubs, they don't care whether their children memorize Bible verses, they don't care whether their children uh, do any children's ministry, they don't care whether they're children are in the teen ministry or not. Listen, God didn't put you in there to entertain them. He gave them to you to train them. I know it's tough sometimes. But no parent gets up at 3 a.m. to wipe puke off their infant because they love them at that moment. Duty. It's a good motive. It's a good motive for parents It's a good motive for children. The difference in a healthy relationship between parents and children that lasts for decades is doing our duty. Will you follow your heart when it's difficult to follow Christ or will you follow Christ? Will you do your duty to your children and to your parents? Which gets us to our third thing, number three. If it hasn't come yet, there'll come a time when you won't feel like fulfilling your duty to the Lord and his church. It's pretty clear here what Jesus thinks about the church. By the way, if you listen to too many radio and television and internet preachers, you'll misdefine church. Church is not all believers everywhere until all believers assemble in heaven. Uh, Jesus used the word 22 times. It's not that hard of a study. If you don't believe it, check it out. Church in the New Testament 
right now is an assembly of baptized believers. Jesus makes it clear what he thinks about each of his churches. By the way, this is what he thinks about Bible Baptist Church. Verse 25 of Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus clearly loves the church, gave himself for it. Verse 29, No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church, Jesus nourishes and cherishes the church. It's pretty clear what he thinks. But the time's going to come when you're not going to feel that way about this place. It's going to come. And when that time comes, the choice you make will be the difference as to whether you become a mature follower of Jesus and remain spiritually minded or something else. We all at times will feel like forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We all at times will not feel like loving the brethren and sistern like we should. We will not feel like being the body part in Christ's body that he designed us to be. We're not going to feel like obeying spiritual leaders. We're not going to feel like taking responsibility in ministry. Listen, it's going to happen. If it hasn't yet, it will. And when that time comes... The choice you make, whether you do what you feel like or do your duty, will make all the difference in whether you stay in the Lord's church or fall by the wayside. Or whether you're somebody who's here for a year, here for two years, here for two years, here for three years, here for two years, and you never really ever learn what it's like to truly, intertwine your lives with God's people. See, the path to becoming a mature, spiritually-minded follower of Jesus is not characterized by following our feelings. It's characterized by following our faith. Faith is not a feeling, though we do feel it at times. Faith is a choice. Faith is a choice we make when a part of us says, do what's right, do what God says, and another part of us says, do something else. Faith is when we choose what God says. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And Satan is a master at getting you and getting believers to feel like they don't fit in, like no one wants them there, like Jesus doesn't care or notice if we're there. Feeling what they do is not important. And when you feel like that, the choice you make whether you do your duty or whether you follow your feelings will make all the difference in the world. Listen, we have a debt to the Lord and Savior Jesus. We have something we owe. Uh, not for salvation. Salvation is a gift. The, for by grace you saved through faith. Uh, it is a gift of God, not of works. Send man should boast. We don't work to be saved. We don't work to stay saved. We don't work to be loved. We are loved by God because God is love. We're saved by faith. If we're saved at all, uh, that's not why we're doing this. But we have a duty to do what he created and designed us to do. And so will you follow your heart when it's difficult? Or will you follow your duty in the Lord's church? Which gets us to our last thing. Here's number four. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 
So I'm glad you're about done. I don't like listening to you when your voice is bad. So I don't really like listening to you when your voice is good, and I like it even less now. That's all right. I'm almost done. Here's number four. If it hasn't come yet, there'll come a time when you've been doing right because of duty too much. And you need to find your heart. Listen, duty is a good motive, not a bad one. But God did not intend us to live our life in duty. Though duty is involved in every healthy marriage that lasts for decades, God did not intend the relationship with our spouse to be characterized only by duty. Though duty is involved in every healthy parent-child relationship that spans decades, God did not intend that that relationship be all about duty. The duty is involved in every ministry and every lasting relationship with one of the Lord's churches and fulfilling our gifts from God. God did not intend our relationship with him or our ministry that we do for him to be all about duty. God gave us homes, the church, ministry, parents, children, spouses, responsibility. He gave them to us to bring us joy. When our attitude is about them is wrong, They will never bring us joy. I feel bad for those of you who are here tonight who sort of just had to to come instead of get to come. See, Brother Wally, that's me you're talking about. I haven't had my heart in these things you're talking about for a long time. My heart hasn't been warm in my marriage. My heart hasn't been warm to my parents. My heart hasn't been warm to my children. My heart hasn't been warm to my church. My heart has not been warm to my ministry. It's been a long time. And and Brother Waller, just to be honest, I've just been serving all out of duty. What should I do? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. The second epistle, beloved. I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. You want to get stirred up in your mind and your heart? Remember. Remember good times with your spouse. I remember when Sharon used to be able to just stare at me. She doesn't get any joy out of that anymore. By the way, I used to stare at her too. I still like it. She just says, stop staring at me. You pause and you think about, and all my wife gave up to be my wife. She took my name. She decided to follow my authority. By the way, it ain't always good. You ever just stop and remember? See, see, at the root of losing our heart is thoughtlessness. Same thing with your kids. There's parents here, and I don't know whether your kids are 50 or, or, or whether they're five, and, and tonight you're just like, man, 
I'm, I'm not even sure. I'm glad I had kids. You've you got to go back. Do you, do you remember what it was like when you wanted them? Do you remember how exciting it was when they were born? Do you remember when they took their first steps, said their first words? You've you got to remember. See, see, we get so bogged down with, with the things that are not the way we wish they were and, and sometimes should be, so bogged down with, with, with what's wrong that we, we lose sight of what's been so good. We lose our heart. Do, do you remember what it was like when you first had your ministry? When you first came to Bible Baptist Church? When you first heard me and said, oh, wow, I, I like listening to that guy. That was a long time ago. Do, do you remember? Do, do you remember when it was exciting to come into the youth ministry? Exciting to be uh, working on a bus. Exciting to be teaching your class. Exciting to be singing a solo. Before you let yourself just go down this dark path. Listen, we all must, both in our homes and in the Lord's work at times, do the right thing for duty. But we're not supposed to live there. You know, most of the time, we ought to be, you know what, I'm glad I'm going to church. Most of the time, you know what, I'm glad I married her. That's easier for me than her. I mean, most of the time, I'm glad to my child. Duty is so important. But if that's all your life is about, you're missing something. Because our God wants us to have joy doing the things he designed life to be about. So I ask you tonight, are there areas of your life where you've not decided that duty is a good motive to do what you're supposed to do? Would you change that and do your duty? And tonight, if all you're operating under is duty in all these areas of life, it's been a long time since your heart was stirred. Would you remember? Would you go back? Would you find your heart? Remember when you didn't know all the faults of all your leaders? Remember when you didn't know all the warts of Bible Baptist Church? We got them. Have your heart. Hey, Jesus is worth it. And life is worth living with some joy instead of just duty, amen? You'd quietly stand.